Yay! That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, that was so beautiful. Just the harmonies. It was just so good, ladies. Thank you. Uh, let's just thank Jesus for this van. I think that'd be awesome, wherever you are. I know you're going to clap, but I, I'm just really thankful for the time, the prayer, the, just the way Jesus has been leading the body to, to just bring out his gifts for his glory. So just thank you, band. That was really beautiful. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we're actually beginning uh, looking at one of the attributes of God's love. But, you know, before we get there, we actually got some help from some of our short kids on what love is. So uh, we're going to go ahead and show you that. What do you think love is? <laughs> what is love? What is love? I do not know. What is love? Love is, is nice. Okay, baby, what is love? Love is about that you care Show love.
All right, we love them. Thank you, thank you, Tracy. Thank you, kids. We also uh, have a few just, you know, baby announcements. So a few babies have been born just in the last few weeks we want to tell you about. Normally, we, you know, we do it together and we celebrate and all that. But let me give you a few names here. First, Elias uh, was born uh, brand new to our church. Brett, you'll get to meet them eventually after COVID. Brett and Carrie, they've been here a few times. But Elias was born on January 9th, which is really exciting. Renly to Nicole. And Cam had their baby on January 26th. And lastly, Tiffany had her baby, Sadie, uh, just last week, February 7th. And so, woo, it's exciting. Uh, lots of just, Jesus loves children. It's really exciting. So please love them. If you have their numbers, text them. Send them meals, money, whatever you love to do when people have babies. Flowers, all kinds of things. Okay, uh, let's jump into our text of so 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to... Begin the first half of this chapter. Let me catch you up where we've been. And so um, Paul right now, he's in the middle of needing to defend his authority and apostleship, the true gospel. Because what happened when he left, after he planted, there was a group of these false self-appointed apostles who came in and began to undermine and began to twist the gospel and began to say what Paul brought was weak. He, he's not really from God, we're from God. And so he is just needing to defend himself. And, and they were boasting about their teaching. They were boasting about the fact that the church's spiritual health was because of these false apostles. And Paul's like, no, you guys are missing it. So he's writing this letter. And, and here's what I want us to see before we read the text. Um, Paul was there at the beginning. He saw the Holy Spirit coming to them for the first time. He saw their faces. He, he saw the renewal. He saw the change. He saw the ones he loves. And so he's moving now, as you'll see in our passage, into a father's heart uh, for Jesus. You can see it's starting to burn in him, okay? So with that kind of emotional language, because for Paul, these are real people. Uh, look with me now at verse 1, and then we'll pray and get into it. So Paul says this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and and was in need, I did not burden anyone 
for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let me pray. Father, we feel the the Father's jealousy. His deep love for his elect, his, his deep love for his children. And I pray that, Lord, as we open up this text together, that you would be so present with all of us. There's so much in here that I I know you want us to not only see, but, but break off the lies that seem to threaten what we do see. And so... I just ask Jesus that you would do healing, you would do um, like repentance of thinking. If, If we've thought wrongly about you or we are beginning to drift into false teaching, would you just highlight these things? And just, I pray you'd help me, so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd use the spiritual gift you've given me. And I pray for those, if they're not believers or maybe just kind of new to this church, <clears throat> I pray that they would hear uh, the love of Jesus for them in sometimes hard words or in warnings. And we, we pray that none of this would land on rocky soil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to guide us this morning, I want us to look first at what gripped Paul's heart, what, what, what is how he's gripped by the Father's love. So we're going to look at, number one, the Father's heart, a divine jealousy. Number two, I want us to see, you know, what is Paul fighting for in this passage? Uh, what's the main thing? And you see it's a, it's a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus. And then number three, how will uh, false teachers uh, will, by the way, they will disguise themselves as angels of light. All right, <clears throat> so number one, we're going to look at first a heart gripped By the Father's love, a divine jealousy. Okay, take your beautiful eyes one more time to verse chapter 2. He says this, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Literally, that can be translated, I am jealous for you with God's own zeal. One translation says, I am anxious for you with the deep concern of God himself. Another says, I'm as protective of you as God is. You can just see within this sentence the real presence of the Father. Paul puts himself in the place of the Father, 
who was walking his bride, which is the Corinthian church, to Jesus. He was there when they came into relationship with Jesus, when they came in to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit for them, that this is a divine jealousy. He's watching them drift from their devotion to Jesus, and he's like, no, that's not how I presented you to him. And, and, and here's what you need to know. This is a divine jealousy, that God is a jealous God, and that that's the kind of God you want to serve. He's not some weak in jealousy. He's not worldly jealousy the way you and I think of it. If anything, um, look at what J.I. Packer says. He says, God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy so often is, but appears instead as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. So divine jealousy, when you think of the jealousy of God's heart, it, it's, it's a protective love. It's a relationship to avenge when any, of it, when any of it is under attack or broken. See, jealousy in God is, is that passionate energy that provokes and stirs him and moves him to take action against whatever and whoever stands in the way of his enjoyment of what he loves and desires. Okay, How many of you husbands or you, would, you come home and you have a favorite spot at home where you love to cuddle and nuzzle up with your wife. If you came home and saw another man in that couch, how many of you would be like, I think I'm going to start prison ministry because that's not okay. And the reason is your love is real. It's a jealous love. It, it matters. It's meaningful. Our hearts need to feel the secureness as we hear what the Father is like in Paul. Our hearts need to hear he's jealous for you. He's jealous to be with you, to show you there's no higher satisfying life other than him. That he's your joy and that he, he's your identity, that he's the very thing that you want most in everything that you pursue. And, and, and he's jealous for you in every temptation and in every trial. He's jealous for your heart, I want his heart. I want her wholeness. He's jealous, lest, the, lest they, my children, be robbed by the world or compromised. He's jealous that you have the fullness of his blessings, the riches of his grace. John Piper, he put it this way, and it's, it's really, really good. God is not jealous like an insecure employer who fears that his employees might get lured away by a better salary elsewhere. God's jealousy is not the reflex of weakness or fear. Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, and gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but from a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of of a fickle spouse. See, his jealousy is beautiful. His jealousy has majesty and, and wonder. You can hide yourself in the, in the wing of the love, of the beauty of the jealousy of God. Charles Spurgeon, he, he writes this. He says, hide yourselves under the banner of Jehovah's jealousy. It is bloody red. I know, its ensign bears a thunderbolt and a flame of fire, but hide yourselves, hide yourselves under it, for what enemy shall reach you there? If it be to God's glory to save me, I'm in 
trenched behind munitions of stupendous rock. If it would render God inglorious to let me, a poor sinner, descend into hell, if it would open the mouths of devils and make men say that God is not faithful to his promises, then I am secure for God's glory is wrapped up with my salvation. And, and the one cannot fail because the other cannot be tarnished. If, if you're in a circumstance today where there is fear, there's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of uncertainty about how God feels about you, you need to hear this morning that he is jealous for every part of your heart. That he really, really loves you and that he wants you to hide in his jealousy. That you, you are his. That you are what he's done for you. You are what he's done for you. You are not what has been done to you. You are what he thinks of you. And you belong to him. And he's jealous for you. For Paul, this community is a bride in the hands of Jesus. Anything else that seeks to pull them away from their best with him and the glory of the truth of the gospel needs to go, needs to be renounced, which takes us into the second point. What is Paul fighting for? Okay, so sure, if I could, you know, physically grab your face, I know it sounds weird, but if I could physically grab your face, I would say your name really nicely. And then I would say, this is the most important thing that you need to hear. This is the greatest purpose you have on planet Earth. Look at verse 3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. So here's the only thing that matters. This is what he's fighting for. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The NASB says, from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Nothing matters more in reality than this one thing. Your devotion to Jesus. The affection of your soul is meant to be on one thing. That's Jesus. Psalm 27.4, we read this. One thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing, I ask the Lord for one thing, so here's the one thing that I want, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, where the presence of God is all the days of my life, to, to do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It's critical for us who love and follow Jesus, that's most of us now watching, to fuel this one fire in your soul. There, there's, no, there's no other pursuit in your life, unanswered email, thing in your calendar, more important than this priority that everything else needs to attend to, and that's your devotion to Jesus. There, there isn't. A pure devotion to Jesus is about something in you that burns for him. You know, there's, an, there's a... I don't know if, you, if any of you grew up in the church, there's a delirious song that, that says, and my heart burns for you. If you don't have a burning devotion for Jesus, you need to really pause and look at what this sermon is saying, what this text is saying. 
this is Paul's heart, that there's a strong seriousness to this passage. And we, we can't run and hide. We can't make excuses. Uh, it's so serious that Paul goes back to where it all fell for us. He goes back to Genesis, right? He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion, one thing, to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise of his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This takes us into our last point. How will false teachers disguise themselves? What are, what are the devil's tactics? What do we need to look for <clears throat> when deception's in the church? Now, a few things we just need to say, especially as we come into 2021. These super apostles weren't, you know, bringing in a different morality or, or something that obvious what you know wasn't christian the devil's not going to show up with a pitchfork and tell you to at least within the church in false teaching worship a different god it's just too obvious he won't do it that way um notice the text says it's proclaiming another christ another gospel and, and it'll sound really close it'll be true It'll, it'll feel like this is something that could be in the Bible. It's, it's these subtle shifts, you know, these subtle questions, these subtle, you know, did God really say? Is his character this, really this way? Is he wrathful or is he jealous? You'll, it's subtle doubts. Scholars point out that when you survey what scripture says about false teachers and teaching, uh, not, now listen, not secondary disputable teaching, but false teaching, you're always going to see these three main themes. And here they are, I put them down for you. False teaching appears in these three main ways. Number one, false ideas about who God is, his character, his nature, and what he's done. And so within this church in Corinth, if you study 1 Corinthians, it was all around the resurrection. It was, was the resurrection literal? Did it already happen? Um, if it didn't happen, are we now free to do what we want? Is this now the new life we've been given so we could just enjoy our desires? These desires are all yours. You can embrace them. The resurrection took place. There's no judgment now. You know? When, when by the way, when people start questioning the authority of Scripture, denying the resurrection, the virgin birth, Jesus being fully God and fully man, who, again, false ideas about our, who God is and what he's done. You know, God is love, and it's just, it's just going to bring, he's going to bring everyone into heaven. Uh, there, there's no hell. We don't need a cross, and that's not biblical. Second, false ideas on how to meet God and, and how we get saved. Third, false ideas on how we get to live after we meet God. And false teaching will encourage you to either add, change, tweak, 
bring culture in and fit around all ethical and those kind of main doctrinal issues. So here's where it gets tricky. Deception always has uh, elements of truth. That's why it's deception. It has two-thirds truth. And it, it'll sound Jesus-sounding. It'll, it'll, it'll have the ingredients of, of love and, and lightness, and, 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 um, but it'll be this subtle drift. Now, let me be clear. There's, there's false teaching that's, that's obvious, false teaching. Then there's false teaching that <clears throat> I think happens, and this is just James's opinion. So now you're just going to have coffee for a second here. In my opinion, I think there's false teaching that begins with the truth of the gospel. Where, because here's this, most false teachers don't think they're false teachers. They just don't think they're false teachers. They don't wake up and go, scheming time. Some do, but most don't. And so they began with the true gospel. They began with Jesus died and he rose again, 1 Corinthians 15, to forgive us and bring us new life, John 3. Jesus is Lord, Romans 10. They have the truth gospel. And then, now watch this, either because of pain, they see pain or they experience pain or their experience, supernatural, really hard, difficult times, or even giftedness, and all of a sudden power and, and platform come in, well, what happens is because the gospel has many beautiful fruits that flow from the gospel, that are a part of Jesus' reign and rule, like love for the poor and, and solid doctrine and and the gospel spreads, accompanying with signs and wonders. Because there's fruits that flow from the activities of Jesus being present on earth from the gospel, here's what happens. When you make that fruit, love for the poor, a certain agenda or emphasis of the gospel, the main thing, if you make that the only gospel, you push it into a boundary where it becomes the thing. And when it becomes the thing, it becomes its own gospel. That's why you have the moralistic gospel. That's why you have a social gospel. That's why you have a, you know, health, wealth gospel. That's why you have, there, there's these twists underneath it all. And, and, and the enemy begins to, with pain, experience, all of that, begin, you drift from the authority of Scripture into a different authority. So now your pain is the new authority, or, or social rights is the new authority, or, you know, your interpretation of your, is the new authority, and it's, it's, it's these subtle voices, and, and, and all of a sudden, you enjoy the praise, and, and hidden sin comes in, and secrets form, and feels really, really good. And what's tempting, I think, for preachers is, you know, at this point in a, in a sermon, you know, a preacher would tend to, like, highlight, here's all the false gospels, this false gospel, this is a false gospel, this is a, and, and here's, here's what demons love to do. They love to use that tactic as well. Because, listen, listen, any tactic designed to get your devotion off Jesus, whether it's we're better than them, is a tactic to get you off Jesus. But it would be easy and a win for the demonic kingdom to put you in a place where you just keep obsessing on social media, 
on all the false gospels. Oh, that's false. Until your mind and heart is open to a spirit of judgment. And you go, that's false, that's false. When you're supposed to be looking at Jesus and having a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus. What is true? How does he love? What does he think? Take every thought captive. When, and you guys know this. I think every person on earth who's been in church for a while has heard this analogy. But when they train bankers or tellers about false counterfeit bills, what do they teach them? Get to know the true one. Keep your eyes on the devotion of Jesus. I've met too many believers who are over-obsessed with every false gospel. They don't do anything for Christ. And they sit behind their blogs, and they blog away, and there's a spirit behind them of, you keep going. It's a spirit of judgment and criticism. And listen, they can't go to any church because they criticize everything. That's as demonic as the false gospels. So all I'm saying is if it's getting your mind and heart off Jesus, be careful. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, the one we proclaimed. So you got to know the one that we proclaimed. That's how you know if you got another Jesus, because you know the true Jesus. But listen to this, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put it up with readily enough. So here's the key. If you're like, James, this seems kind of like dangerous. I don't want to be obsessed with false gospels, but I need to know what's out there. I need to know the true gospel. So you're, I'm with you, James, but how do I navigate this? Here's the key to navigating this. Um, you need to take every thought captive, like we said last week in the scripture, to the obedience of Christ. Now here's the thing. False teaching and, and patterns of thoughts that are contrary to the truths of the gospel, they actually don't have power. They're not going to detonate your life until you agree with them, until you receive the false truth. Satan's words to Eve had no detonation power until she took it in and received it. Notice the re repetition of this in the text. You receive, if you receive, you accept, accepted. What did the Bereans do when Paul came in and preached? They tested to see if this was in the scripture. We take every thought captive. Is this truth or the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And listen, if you give your mind more time to the news and social media than to Jesus, his scripture, his priorities in your heart, you are more readily to accept false teaching. Because it's when you're out of abiding with Jesus. It's when you're out of being devoted to him. And you're not taking thoughts captive to obedience to him. But you're just agreeing. You're watching. You're scrolling. You're seeing your identity. Human rights. You're watching pain. It's all real. And it, it just, it's coming in. That's where the deceptive thoughts of allegiance will come into your life. And here's the thing, it's a kingdom that feels like it's the one you were in. But it's not. It's not. This is what he says. He says, if you receive a different spirit from the one you received. The Greek word there for spirit is supernatural being. So he, receiving a different spirit means agreeing with, bringing into the castle of your thinking, 
the spirit present behind the lie. Behind false gospels being taught is another kingdom. False gospels are not just sentences. They have their source in a different kingdom that mask themselves as angels of light. Every time, no exceptions. There, there's, there's, there's often this motive of, of gaining and using and power. And you'll see the fruit. Apparently, in this church, these super apostles were, were throwing it out there. It was such norm now around them that if you were really of God, you would pay a lot of money to see these super apostles. Now, that's not different than what we see a lot in this world. Like, we look at that now, and we're like, really? Like, that's, you know? Because they're critiquing him in this text that Paul didn't charge. Paul didn't charge for preaching. And so what they said is, well, he doesn't charge. That means he's not that good. And they're like, yeah, of course. So somehow not accepting money made Paul inferior to them. So listen to how he reacts, and then we'll get a little practical here in the end here. But look at verse 5. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin? Like he, he, He's mind-boggled that they are saying these things. And that... They're receiving these things. So he's like, they're telling the church, Paul sinned by not getting money from, like it's just crazy. So that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. He's like, man, I, I, I took from other churches to do what I was doing and God knows what I do. I love for you. For Paul, it was critical to recognize that the gospel cannot be bought any more than it can be earned. It comes freely out of God's grace. He even says the church in Macedonia, they had to help me, so it was like I robbed them. I didn't even serve them, and I was using their, their cash to help me just live while I was with you. And then he says, and what I'm doing, I will continue to do. I'm not going to quit in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms. He's like, you know what? I'm going to keep preaching the gospel for free. Just to shove it in their faces. This is right. Maybe he doesn't have that attitude. But, you know, like he's just, no, I'm not going to quit. And then he says this. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. When they read that publicly in the whole church, the Holy Spirit will accompany that. And they will see it. He says, so it is no surprise if, if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. The, these, are, these are somber words. Um, especially against false teachers. No one escapes God's justice. And, and Paul has a strong confidence that, that what's coming for them will match their deception. You will reap what you sow. Jesus warns us in a few places of what Paul's 
um, speaking into in Matthew 7. This won't be on the screen, but he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. Then he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll see character off a bit. You'll see things that seem a little dodgy. And he's like, just beware. Remember when he tells the disciples, beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees? He says that they're teaching the law, but what they do are these whitewashed tombs. In Matthew 24, he says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So what Jesus said is actually taking place in 30, 40, 50 years later in the church of Corinth. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, don't take up your cross, don't deny yourself. Live for you. Watch what happens when you live for you. The Bible says, Jesus said, and the love of many will grow cold. The love of many, of being in love with him. Being in love with Jesus grows cold. When you take an emphasis of the gospel and you make it the gospel and you push into a boundary that's outside of scripture based on a whole different authority, your love for Jesus will get cold and cold and cold. Becoming like him won't be like this, this so, you're so excited. You know, giving it all to him and like being surrendered to him will, won't feel as sweet. You'll actually love your bank more or, you know, the next project more, the next workout more. And, and, he, and he, he's jealous for every room in your heart to have his presence there, to have his purposes there. He's, he's so jealous to protect you that he has us in this sermon for you right now. Because he himself is your home. And listen, every time... You enter his presence, you enter already loved. And so I was, I was praying for us this morning because I, I never felt so, I cut so much from this sermon, didn't know what to emphasize, and was feeling like, I don't know, like, why is it so tough for me to bring together and so I, I, I prayed, <clears throat> and I felt like the Father say to me, release pain. And then it really hit me. There's still a lot of hurt. You know, whether it's Ravi this week or um, in your past, experiences of betrayal, uh, feeling unheard when a false teacher pushed you out because you questioned, hey, what does scripture say? Or you felt shame. That's pain. That sucks. Because underneath the cunning abuse and from false teachers, It's a whole different kingdom that Jesus beat. You need to remember that um, Satan is a created being 
on the same level as Michael. There's no comparison to God and Satan. Satan's done. He's lost at the cross. The Father has completely beat him. And all the enemy can do is stir up lies and, and emotional pain and trauma. And um, what I sensed God was saying was that he's ready to receive your pain. And oftentimes the enemy will, will stir emotions that you're not pure now or you're a spoiled bride or you know, look at your pain, and, and don't get hurt again, and you can't trust God, or you're, you got to be scared, and, and you feel betrayed, and so what do you do with those thoughts? You ask, is this how you see this, Jesus? And then, if release pain means that, that you give it to him to bear it with you, uh, you, if it helps, because Jesus created your imagination, if it helps, Imagine your pain as in the backpack of your soul, unzip it, and you will need to actually pull it up. So the, the difference between releasing pain and just thinking about pain is, is in this. You're actually bringing your pain with words to Jesus, and you're asking him with words to heal it. That's different than thinking about pain for a long time and self-introspection. Releasing pain is saying, you can take this. And um, oftentimes, much of what you experienced that was truth, the two-thirds, was true. And Jesus used that in your life. So when you, when you have to process things like Ravi or things like false teachers where like, but I did meet Jesus, and I, but half of it wasn't, and you're wrestling with that, you need to know that you weren't putting your trust in that person. The truth that was really true of Scripture and of who Jesus is was where you were putting your trust. It wasn't in man. We don't put our trust in man. Okay, so when you release pain, what, what, do, you, what do you do next? You, you replace it with truth. You replace it with Jesus. And um, if you believe because of all the effects and affliction caused by false teachers, you, you're hurt. Tell God you're hurt. Bring that to him but you are not a spoiled bride. You are not impure. Here's how I know this. Listen to what Jesus says, or Paul says about Christ in Ephesians 5, and we'll close here. I have no idea how we're doing for time because we got cut off. So Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of of water with the word so that he might present the church that's his bride that's you and me to himself in splendor you're coming into jesus presence in splendor without spot 
or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So I want to pray. And as, um, as you release pain, I want to say Jesus is present today. And he has the power to break all oppressing bondages that may be keeping you in emotional and spiritual bondage to these false teachers. And so I want to pray for healing for your heart and for its full separation from those teachers. So I'm going to do that now, and then the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing. So, Father, you're jealous. You're jealous for every heart, every room in our mind. God, you stand now in the throne room of our hearts. I ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that any oppressing pain or bondage attached to false teachers, I command them to be broken now in your name, in Jesus' name. And all spirits that have been connected to any of the false teaching, we bind you and we command you to go now in the name of Jesus. And I now pray for your healing to replace lies of whose we are, lies of who you were, You weren't deceiving us. You were with us. I pray for healing there. And I pray that you just replace and refill and bring renewal to our trust in your word. Our trust in Jesus. And so now I just pray for a cleansing of just pure devotion, any distractions that have kept us spiraling. Just, I pray cleansing over those distractions that they leave. In Jesus' name, amen.